0: Rob, when we last spoke, you were out in Copenhagen for the start of the Tour de France. Um, what was it like out there?
1: Yeah, it was good. Crazy atmosphere out there. Danes have really gotten into it, um, into their cycling. They must have known Jonas Fingergard uh, was one of the big favourites. You could definitely see that through all the advertising of the event out there. And yeah, they're really out in force supporting it. And um, yeah, I think they held a great opening three days to this Tour de France.
0: And it's been an absolutely incredible Tour de France. If it ended today, um, the Danes would go away very, very happy. Um, They've got uh, the yellow jersey as we speak. They've got tons of, uh, I think they've got three, maybe four stage wins as well. And as you mentioned, uh, they had the Grand Depart. um, Epic for the Danes, uh, despite being such a small nation with such a small uh, population.
1: Yep, crazy there are sadly outdoing the UK nowadays. I think five years ago, we'd have been the golden force in Grand Tour racing. But yeah, Denmark and Slovenia are definitely having their time right now.
0: Incredible, incredible scene. So Copenhagen uh, first. uh, Back then, it was a time trial, short inner city time trial, 13K. A little bit of a surprise. Um, We were all expecting Ghana uh, to take it by storm, but it wasn't to be. You had... um, another rider taking yellow talk us through it
1: yeah big surprise so I've been there all week it's been sunny all day and literally as soon as the time trial started it started raining and um, yeah it was crazy obviously not the conditions riders want um, for an inner city time trial when, when you're racing on those inner city roads and it rains the first time in a while it really really slick due to all the like all the rubbish all the diesel and petrol on them and yeah it just gets slippy
0: quite quickly probably worth and, mentioning uh, the road uh road signage as well like the white lines and the yellow lines and whatnot they get super slippy don't they
1: yeah for sure in the wet and we saw that one of the first riders off i believe third favorite for the stage stefan bissiger i think he, he went down at least two times maybe even three times and yeah brutal for the guy you who know, i'm sure a large part of his season was winning that time trial and yeah, it was it was crazy, crazy first starts of the tour, uh, first stage, and essentially all the all the teams opted to put their star riders earlier on when it was meant to be uh, dry, and the weather was predicted to get wet. Get it was predicted to get wetter later, and uh, essentially the opposite happened. So it was really wet at the start, and then later on it dried out, and so. Essentially, all the, all your big guns, all your main GC guys, all your top time trialists are in the first hour and a half. And then um, once it dried up, old Ysland part snipes it and uh, takes the stage, having done his run in much drier, faster conditions.
0: Absolutely. And uh, incredible win. And as mentioned, a bit of a surprise, but Etik, Etik's, uh or rather, Quickstep getting the yellow jersey and then backing it up in stage two as well. Incredible.
1: Yeah, stage two. Um, yeah, obviously, big talking point before this tour was omitting Mark Cavendish and instead, uh, quick step, deciding to go with Fabio Jakobsen as their sprinter. Um, and sadly, for all the big Cav fans out there like myself, um, that argument was kind of put to bed on the first stage with Fabio Jakobsen taking a fantastic uh, Stage win and uh, pretty dominant as well, really looking like the fastest guy in the race on stage two.
0: Absolutely. And um, it's worth mentioning that Van Aert uh, posted, what, a top five in stage one. He got second place in stage two. Um, and he goes on to grab a bunch of wins and podiums again. And we'll go into that more to come. But uh, Fabio Jakobsen uh, and Eve Lampart. Basically telling uh, or rather um what's the what's the ethics boss name?
1: Patrick uh, Lefebvre. No, oh, that's
0: it. Patrick Lefebvre basically telling us, or rather giving the rest of us two fingers up, you know, like
1: pretty much, pretty much. Sadly <laughs> sticking it to the Brits, which isn't good.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it's worth mentioning you said um Cav not meant to get getting the spot and he's also out of contract at the end of the year, but uh I don't think he'll be out of options.
1: No, for sure. Um, so Alperson Fenix have lost arguably their better sprinter in Tim Aaliyah. Um, Tim O'Lear going from Alperson Fenix, they're probably the best sprint team in my opinion right now. Um, he's going to Ethics. So Alperson potentially an option for him. Uh, also Bora Hands Grower with their big sprint signing, Sam Bennett being a big flop. Um, so I'd imagine Bora Hands Grower and uh, Alperson. Matthew Van Der Poel's team, uh, will be the two front runners for uh, Cav's name. I hope he chooses one of them. If not, I think it's a lot harder for him to get his uh, record-breaking Tour de France stage win. Um, but yeah, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully he goes there instead of follow the money. But we'll see. We'll see.
0: Absolutely. I don't think he's after the money. Um, being on probably the lowest contract he's been on all his all his career you know uh, with quick based on wins and whatnot. but yeah um, back to Van Aert then he um, won't be the first and last time we talk about him he goes stage 2 he managed to get himself into yellow um, stage 3 uh, surprise win by Do- uh, Dylan Greenewagen um, you could say surprise or you could argue otherwise but uh, Van Aert picks up second again and stays in yellow. But uh, back to Groningen, first win in how long? Um, incredible,
1: long time. Yeah, obviously difficult, difficult start scenes for him. I think he's had a really good lead out team around him. Um, generally, just been getting dropped on hills before before he could get to sprint finishes. But um, yeah, this time really well executed from him and the team, and he had a good. Good burst of pace and, yeah, is enough to put Wout Van Aert in second place for the third day in a row. So, yeah, got a feel for the guy a little bit. But, yeah, great win for Dylan Grunewagen and and, uh, his team, Bike Exchange, who've definitely been struggling this season, that's for sure.
0: And uh, so, once again, Van Aert goes into stage four in yellow and absolutely... Absolutely annihilates the whole peloton, um, attacking in the final 11 kilometres. Now we're into France, stage four, obviously, um, Dunkirk, Calais uh, on our doorstep, effectively. Um, 11K powers away and takes the win um, with uh, second place going to, I think it was Jasper Philipsen, um, probably a little cheesed off. He didn't get the win, but he does pick up one later, but yeah, um, yeah, incredible. Incredible from Van Art.
1: Yeah, crazy ride. And yeah, sad to see and actually celebrated the second place, not realised <laughs> Van Art was eight seconds up the road. So so yeah, yeah, heartbreak for and thinking he'd just taken his first tour win. But yeah, sadly not to be for him. But yeah, truly crazy performance from Wout Van Art and yeah, absolute crazy record second on the first three stages and following it up on a wind on stage four is, uh, is some some start to your tour, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we go into stage five and you actually uh, stopped us last time uh, to talk about stage five. And rightly so, because there was absolute carnage, um, absolute carnage. And this is the one with the cobbles out in northern France. Um, Simon Clark taking it out on the line. Uh, but yeah, you want to go into that one?
1: Yeah, crazy race. Um, one big taunting part of the race is, uh, yeah, basically a big fight for the yellow jersey still on both uh, Edvald Bosenhagen, Nielsen Paulus looking to go into yellow. And both would sadly miss out on that by a couple of seconds. And um, kind of the way they tactically played it in the finale of this stage as well um, cost them the stage win. Essentially, both of them started sprinting from about a kilometre out. Trying to ensure they took as much time on the main bunch. Um, However, sadly, um, they just missed out on being far enough ahead of the bunch to take yellow. And also, by sprinting so early, they uh, lost their chance of the stage win. So, a bit of a double loss for those two. But yeah, fantastic stage taken by Simon Clark, who um, was out of contract, didn't even have a team wanting him as part of their roster. Uh, until, I believe, January or definitely early this year. And, uh, yeah, great win for him. Real big surprise, that's for sure.
0: Uh, but a good, good uh, second spot for van der Horn for Intermarché. Uh, Edwell Bolzenargen, as you mentioned, grabbing third. He's he's in the twilight of his career now, um, showing he's still got it, though. Uh, it's worth mentioning, Rob, that, that Tade Pogacar managed a sixth... Uh, rather, he got a top 10. He finished seventh. And he moved up to fourth place. So he's doing things quietly. Or it, it, well, he was doing things quietly <laughs> initially. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about what happened in the end. But Van Aert, as you mentioned, holds on to yellow before going on to stage six. Uh, more testing stages now. Uh, well, considering <laughs> stage five was testing with the cobbles. But in terms of uh, the elevation and whatnot, um, starting to get a bit hillier now. Uh, yeah. before going into stage six. So this yeah. one this one Pugetso did did come out of the shadows um taking in a, a huge win and um a commanding yellow jersey position
1: yeah for sure so van art one of the sta- big favorites before the stage expected to win in a small bunch finish but uh he's a bit of a nutter and he um he attacked basically right from the gun and uh for me kind of bit of a suicide mission and essentially cost himself the yellow jersey, getting caught with about 10 kilometres to go in the stage and then obviously didn't have, have um, much left in him to contest the small climbs at the finish. And, uh, yeah, lost touch with that front group, no chance of being involved in the sprint, which, short uphill climb, and, yeah, Tali Pogaccia really, really smoked everyone. Um, fantastic performance from him, real dominant and a lot of people kind of ruling that as a oh, Tade really looking unbeatable this tour, um, and yeah, early signs of of everyone's form and Pagatch definitely coming out on top.
0: Yeah, with um, with your time racing and coaching, Robert, have you ever come across something like that? Someone getting wins to the head, or an absolute machine, trying something different, um, maybe overconfidence and popping, basically.
1: Oh, um yeah you can definitely get overconfident during races but i mean thegat is just a, a pure oh i oh, was in Van, Art. Van Art, yeah absolutely. yeah yeah i'd be i if I'm running Jumbo Visma, i just sack their sports director straight away i I just don't know what on earth they were doing that was it was just terrible that's not like that's just over exuberance from the rider but yeah the sports director that day should it's just terrible, terrible tactics from them. It's like deciding to let your goalkeeper be sprinter, be a striker for the day in the World Cup final. It's just it's just shocking tactics. I don't know what they were thinking, but um, but yeah, is what it is. Um yeah, no, even in amateur racing, that's bad tactics, in my yeah, opinion. So, absolutely. Yeah.
0: so Pogacar are taking the win, picking up some bonus seconds. Taking Yellow Jersey, he's 30 seconds up on Vingegaard, uh, Yates, Pidcock, uh, Thomas, he's 40 seconds up on them. Going into stage seven, the first real test, I guess, uh, up La Planche de Belfi. And we had our first, you could say, our first battle between our two top favourites uh, with Pogacar nicking it on the line, almost making it look easy.
1: Um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd call it nicking it on the line, to be honest. Um, yeah, he uh, he really looked beaten by Jonas Fingergard, and um, yeah, just. Found... I don't know,
0: Rob. You you had Fingergard out of the saddle, huffing and puffing, and you had pagacha almost let him take the gap, and then still in the saddle, we just almost. I thought I thought
1: Fingergard had it. I was fairly sure Fingergard had it with about thirty meters to go, but I think Pagatcha really found something out of nowhere um, to take that one. Yeah, I think Vingergaard looked behind, I believe, with about 30 metres to go. I think I think it was just the mental grit of Pogaccia that won him that stage, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I think... Stubbornness, it was mental... maybe. Yeah. Stubbornness, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he'd also just launched his new charity, which I believe is a cancer charity, and I think, um, yeah, potentially that was part of his motivation that day, why he made his team work to bring the break back and then why he went so deep to win the stage as well. So, so Rob, yeah. Rob, um,
0: there was someone else uh, who used to support cancer charities and set his uh, one up. and I, I, are I you did... bringing it up for that reason, Rob? Oh, no, I did see the...
1: When I first saw that Fogaccia had started a cancer charity, I thought that is terrible PR and marketing although <laughs> well, well, yeah, given given there's been another quite famous successful cyclist the had a cancer charity which did do a lot of very good work
0: absolutely absolutely um
1: but yeah I believe yeah Pogaccia's um I think the reason why he chose to do it despite obviously the quite weird comparisons you could make to another cyclist there. He um, is his coach, is a big researcher in uh, cancer, yeah, basically in cancer research and also his mother-in-law or his future mother-in-law, I think it's his fiancée, might be his wife. Uh, okay. His mother-in-law died of cancer recently. So, so yeah, I guess okay. that's the reason, although hard to, even so hard to ignore some of the... <laughs> negative connotations that starting a cancer charity as a Tour de France winner might have. but
0: uh, Absolutely. It's probably worth mentioning for those who are unaware or fairly getting into cycling, uh, we are talking about uh, Lance Armstrong. Um, you could argue the most prolific uh, but also the most disgraced Tour de France winner uh, in the history of the sport. Uh, his Palmares have been erased due to drug cheating, um, but he did beat cancer. He did work with Live Strong, um, a cancer charity out in America, did absolute phenomenal work. Uh, but he was a cheat, uh, effectively. Um, so some people love him, some people hate him. Um, could and, really
1: open uh, it up a whole other podcast oh, here
0: today. <laughs> Polarise a lot of opinions, that's
1: for sure. But yeah.
0: Just, just give him background, Rob. Just give him background.
1: Yeah, so Lance Armstrong, seven times Tour de France winner in many people's eyes still. Uh, he, he he effectively won seven tours, although they've now been stripped from him. Um, very tough, tough childhood upbringing, abandoned by his father, essentially. And um, yeah, went on to be one of the greatest sports sports people of all time in an area where doping was, so prevalent that there's basically no one not doping um started a charity uh, raised hundreds of millions for charity cancer research obviously probably inspired a lot of people you came back from cancer around that time but was essentially one of the probably one of the biggest ever um cheaters in sport and made millions from it as well so polarizes opinion um, that's for sure. A lot of good, a lot of bad in Lance Armstrong, you could potentially argue. So, so yeah, a bit of a weird one that I'd say generally, this say most cycling fans are negative feelings towards Lance Armstrong. However, I'd say, I'd say you could argue quite strongly either way, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, he he built the sport to where it is, um, it wouldn't be as big as it is now without him, to be honest. Um, I know Trek, for example, would still be a very small company without him. Um, yeah. And, and so would cycling, really. Um, he, he brought it to America, really. Uh, although, obviously, there was uh, Le Monde, but I don't think anyone did it like him. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, before we do, we do uh, <laughs> become the Lance hans podcast, we go into stage uh... 8 from Dole to Lausanne. Um and another dominant win, a do- another dominant sprint from the man in green.
1: Yeah. Um, this Little bit of a
0: kicker at the end, yeah.
1: This time a big kicker, and this time Wout van Aert, sports director, had obviously <laughs> gone and watched some previous bike races before and maybe understood something about tactics, and yeah, decided to let Wout sit in the group and essentially just take an easy win on a small uphill kicker like he always should. And yeah, uh, Again, another great performance from Tadej Pogacar um, on really not that much of a climb against very good sprinters looking very strong. And him coming in third, faring probably a lot better than many of the other realistic um, GC contenders. And yeah, looking real, real
0: solid again. And uh,
1: yeah, at this point, looking like he'll hold on to yellow pretty well.
0: It's probably worth mentioning, Rob. um, Pogacar actually uh, picked up third spot. Again, another... You could argue sneaky move by the fella, uh, trying to pick up the odd, yeah. odd second here and there, you know. Um, yeah,
1: gave, gave him a four second time bonus as well. So, all these high place finishes, um, definitely adding up for Gatch and helping him build a slight buffer over his uh closest rivals.
0: You could argue that him putting himself in uh these situations and sprinting could could hurt his uh could hurt him later on and uh. We will actually see that, uh, but uh, we'll move on to stage nine in that case. Uh, breakaway stage. I think that's the first, no, not the first, uh, Van Aert did that, but the first uh, non-Superman to win a Breakaway this year.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, old Bob Youngle, sadly.
0: I think I think he probably doesn't fall into the superhero category. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, it is, um yeah, big, big Breakaway, getting away, um, a lot of strong guys. Ineos also throwing in domestics such as Jonathan castro Um, potentially indicating they know they can't realistically win the Tour this year, or that it's very unlikely, giving their domestiques opportunities too. And um, yeah, essentially, Bob Youngles, a guy who's really struggled in the last few years of his career, a lot of uh, health issues, but really came good today. Early attack, holding off a big chase group throughout the Valley and then up the final... Uh whole um yeah, well, you kind know, of attacked and then just a slight descent and then another climb not really a valley, to be honest. Um and yeah, just looking really strong, staying away, and yeah, taking a mega mega win ahead of Jonathan Castro Yeho yeah, and Carlos Verona, um Thibaut Pino coming in fourth. Um not a great race for the French so far. Um yeah. Well,
0: they was doing okay at one one stage, no.
1: Yeah, Bardet's gone all right. Bardet's still in the mix for a podium, but after the French want a little bit more. They're a bit bit greedy about their own home tour. They want to win everything, but uh don't think they're gonna win anything this year. I'm trying to trying to think what what's to come and what's been. And yeah, no, I don't think there's been any real French win so far. And yeah, this was potentially a stage where it could happen, but yeah, unfortunately for them not to be
0: stage 10, uh, we're again second day into the Alps, big big mountain stage finish um, in Mageve uh, phew, I, I'm not even sure if I'm saying that correctly I don't uh, think you are,
1: but I don't think I can improve <laughs> on it to be fair, so I won't try I, I shouldn't criticise
0: uh, So Pogacha actually won there back in 2021, setting up his first he's uh, uh, setting up his tour uh, defense back then uh, this time it was won by magnus court Nilsson, who was showing himself well in the earlier stages but coming uh, coming good today or rather on stage 10.
1: Yeah very it was kind of a big breakaway again not very steep final climb and uh, yeah stronger climbers struggling to get away it was a very very tactical last climb lots of the guys in the mix and yeah, didn't really see much of Magnus Court. He must have just been following wheels. Definitely not the strongest climber in this group, but kind of uh, either got quite easy towards the end, not very hard for the riders. And yeah, Magnus Court, real big, powerful guy, another guy who's good at uphill sprints. And yeah, taking quite a convincing win against uh, Nick Schultz, um, putting another great performance for Bike Exchange. Actually, they are having a very good tour. Um, and another Danish winner, actually, in a Magnus court today. So yeah, oh, I think this is the first Danish winner they've had so far. But yeah, great performance from him.
0: Stage eleven. This is where the real fireworks happened. Rob, um, absolutely phenomenal tactics from Yumbo vispa uh, showing showing why they have the best team. Really, uh, the tables turned for the first time in three years. You could argue, and Wow! Well, um, incredible scenes I think everyone was going mental uh, while watching this the amount of messages I saw coming through and the highlights and the statuses I was looking at it was just incredible absolutely incredible um, finger guard going into yellow and so far keeping it uh, but talk us through the tactics
1: yeah so um, essentially really Hilly stage at mega high altitude and a very hot day as well Heat and altitude yeah. are things we are we know. Bagatja struggles with. One of the very rare occasions he does struggle, and yeah, on the colder of Galibier, Galibier. Um, lots of attacks framed by Yumbo, both by Binghamard and mainly Roglic. To be honest, um, really putting Bagatja under pressure. At about 2,800 meters altitude. And you know, Pagatra had to really burn a lot of matches to keep it all together. A lot of other GC riders getting distanced. And yeah, race really blew up. And um I might have had to have go home for an early lunchtime <laughs> break to uh to, to watch the rest of the tour. Um, just it was just too good an entertainment to miss. And uh yeah, just great riding from Yumbo Visma. And they eventually got. To the final climb 11 point Col de Granon 11.4k 9% very tough climb arguably one of the toughest in this tour and um, yeah Pogaccia just didn't have it he was uh, exposed on a real off day sadly after being softened up by UMBO Visma and their team and uh, yeah Vingegaard taking three minutes out of him so real surprise real surprise um,
0: uh, absolute scenes but um, if you see the way they uh, as you mentioned Yumbo played it uh, sending sending a rider up the road and then making him drop back and then effectively giving Vingegaard uh, another domestique later on in the stage the way they attacked him they sent Roglic up and uh, Pogacha, every every single time Roglic made a move Pogacar was right on his wheel, uh basically, basically using up uh, some of his matches which um, he obviously ran out with uh, with about what five k to go and uh, tanked about that three, is, yeah. as you mentioned, about three three minutes. Uh, so he's now what two and a half minutes behind Vingegaard, um, playing catch up. He's never been in this position, defending champion, playing playing catch up, um, having the race taken to him. Uh, so it'll be interesting how he responds. Uh, we have seen glimpses of what he plans to do, but. Uh, still aggression, fan. aggression <laughs> yeah, is
1: what yeah. fans do now. He, he's not fighting for a podium. He's fighting to win this race. Still, that's for sure. So,
0: absolutely. So, yeah. uh, but in doing so, he might, he might pop once again. Um, finger guard and Yumbo Wismar playing defensive, uh, which is, I, I, would argue the correct tactic. Um, uh, how right. would, how would you play if you were Yumbo right now?
1: If I'm Yumbo right now. I'm just um letting the breakaway go, take all the bonus extra sec- seconds, because if ever a sprint comes, if ever a stage comes down to a sprint, is gonna beat you. Um on the sprint and take bonus seconds. Um Pogaccia can also possibly take about a minute on the final time trial, although Jonas is a very strong time trialer, so you might not even take anything. And I just play it ultra defensive, just ride tempo on all the other climbs left on this tour um, and yeah kind of no, don't give Pogaccio any rope to go on just make it all about Pogaccio in the tour I think Wout now folds into his pure domestique role as opposed to a stage <laughs> stage chaser keeping you, it together you, would,
0: and... you would say that Rob but uh, we saw him go for a few more you know uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah but you know that I, I think Yumbo has still got that
1: same DS in there so, so potentially we might see some different things from them but but yeah we'll see. Yeah
0: Let's and see. That, as you mentioned um they're playing a defensive and that's exactly what they did in stage 12 um Pogacar- trying what he does, uh, being super aggressive, but finger guard not batting an eyelid. Um, He's up for anything that he throws at him, and uh, that's what we saw. Uh, But it's worth mentioning, Stage 12 was a historic win uh, for us Brits, and um, for one Brit in particular. Uh, Go go for it, Rob.
1: Yeah, I believe the youngest ever stage winner on Alpe d'Huez in Tom Pidcock, who, yeah, kind of a bit of a changing of the guard, Bridged across Chris Froome on the descent, and then those two catching the rest of the break, and yeah, great to see Chris Froome really on a comeback ride—the best he's looked um, since his crash in 2018. Coming third on the stage, and Tom Pidcock, who I think I've mentioned previously on this podcast, I see as a uh, Ineos and Britain's next big hope of a Grand Tour winner, um, taking taking a probably the most prestigious stage of this tour and uh, yeah, just looking great, looking fantastic and uh, yeah, getting himself in the solid, solidly in the top 10 of this tour so far. Um, the future looks bright for him, but yeah, kind of a changing of guard for me in a British GC talent, but hopefully and hopefully a lot more to come from both Tom Pidcock and Chris Froome in this tour and uh, in the future for sure.
0: Yeah, I bet the French were burning. Uh, Bastille Day, you're expecting a French winner or you know, you have the French usually pushing for a big win on this day. Yeah, uh, I don't
1: know what on earth they were doing. Thibaut Pinot, um, I expected him to be a guaranteed for the break but didn't really seem to go for it, to be honest, which is a big surprise to me. So, yeah, not a great day for the French with the best person, Roman Bardet in 11th. So. Sad times for them.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it, uh, like just as you mentioned, um, Pidcock, he's current, what, uh, mountain bike champion, world champion? Uh, or Olympic, Olympic champion. champion? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Olympic champion, and it's the first time an Olympic champion has won a stage in the Tour de France, or so a current uh, Olympic champion in uh, mountain bike, uh, which is incredible, shows his versatility. Uh, yeah, and as you mentioned, 22 years old, youngest stage winner of the Alpe d'Huez, madness, absolute madness. Um yeah. is very famous uh, it's uh, worth uh, they, they obviously done it on purpose having Alpe on the same day as Bastille Day um, it's very iconic uh, talk us through it Rob why, why is it iconic, why is why is on Bastille Day, why is it very French why is it very Tour de France
1: oh so yeah, Bastille Day a big French holiday, I'm going to be honest I don't quite know what Bastille Day is, but it's important to the French. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: But Alpe d'Huez,
1: Alpe d'Huez is is arguably for me the most famous cycling climb in the world. Um, yeah, it's just yeah here at uh, Bourg d'Oisans, just one of the most picturesque places um, in the French Alps, and probably yeah, probably the world for me. I've done the climb twice, although well, more than that, I've been to, I've been there twice and done the climbs a lot more times than that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just an absolute icon of cycling and an icon of the tour up to d'Huez. And yeah, to have it on Bastille Day, massive day for the tour and uh, a lot of publicity there, that's for sure. And real good tourism for the French travel industry because I know I'll probably be back to Alpe <laughs> d'Huez again, uh, paying for some overpriced uh, chalet accommodation,
0: that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, well, what, what, How many uh, hairpin bends does it have? 21, I think it is.
1: Well, I wouldn't know. I don't know stats like that. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of hairpins. And when you see it uh, on the helicopter on TV, it truly is something spectacular to look Absolutely.
0: at. Absolutely. So um, very iconic. And of course, one by a Brit, one by Timinios, which again is not a fan favourite for the French. Uh, I'm sure he had uh, some, uh, some obnoxious things thrown at him. Um, but uh, we'll move on to stage 13. Uh, we're heading towards St Etienne now, uh, another sprint win, another big win for the Danes.
1: Yeah, so a little breakaway day, um, six guys up the road and yeah, you had Stefan uh, Kung Filippo Ganna getting dropped on the final climb and real strength shown by Mads Pedersen going away with Britain's Fred Wright and Canada's Hugo Huell and uh yeah the writing was on the wall going into this short little sprint um yeah Pedersen one of the best sprinters in the world right now absolutely smoking Fred Wright and Hugo Hull but nevertheless great ride from Fred Wright to come second and uh more promising stuff for us Brits
0: so yeah absolutely where did where did like I can't say I know but where where did Fred Wright even come from like he's he's doing really well this tour we'll talk about him again later on um yeah, I, I, I didn't have him down as someone on my radar prior to this tour, but he seems to be popping up.
1: Yeah, he's a solid kind of rider, more kind of a classics rider, I think. Yeah, I can't remember if it was Tour of Flanders or paris
0: Bay, he was right
1: up there in, but yeah, very solid classics campaign from him. And yeah, he's, he's put in good world, world tour performances before, but yeah, this tour he's really looked um, solid. And yeah, even during his junior career, look like a big up-and-comer and yeah a bit of time on the I believe the British Academy uh before joining Bahrain and you know going strength to strength and definitely going to be one of the big world tour riders from Britain for a long time and you know potentially a Paris-Roubaix tour, de, uh, tour of Flanders contender for the future um gave it a good pop this year so yeah great classics rider and yeah, definitely some big results to come from Fred in his career. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely, and uh, so back onto stage fourteen. Um, great win, great win from uh, the Australian Michael Matthews. Um, a breakaway stage, another win for uh, another win for the Propel. Um, you're seeing these newer bikes. Matt Spadiswin on the uh, Madone. You got the new Propel under Michael Matthews. Um, who picking up the propel picking up his second stage win. These newer bikes are, of course, it's not always the newer bikes and the newer technology, but they seem to be paying their marketing budget of these companies.
1: Yeah, for sure. Helping them out. Um yeah. So so yeah, good good for the manufacturers, good for sponsorship and yeah, good for the finance of the sport, that's for sure. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put too much down to the new frame, although although I remember the old giant frame was quite unaerodynamic, so if they'd made big improvements, it actually would have probably helped Michael Matthews out quite a lot. Because, yeah, on that final climb, he was in a real toe-to-toe battle with Alberto Bettiol, but uh, yeah, Matthews just overhauling him and getting away from him right at the end to to take a very impressive stage win and the second for a bike exchange who really had a solid tour now, one of very few teams with a more than one stage win throughout this tour.
0: Absolutely. And then the final stage before today's rest day was stage 15. Um yes, but Philipsen picking it up, the first win for his team. Uh, they've been quite quiet, uh, the Belgium team, uh, Van der Poel not looking like himself.
1: No mm-hmm. massive flop from Van der Poel in this race. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd say a decent I expected slightly more from him in the first stage time trial. He came fifth, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, just just I don't know what's gone wrong. I think it was probably a bit too much for him to do this tour after completing the Giro, given all the back problems and missed training he had over the winter. So, So, yeah, I think that's where he's gone wrong, is just not having the base to back up two grand tours this year. Um, so yeah, that was a big blow for Alverson to Kernit, who missed out basically on a Vanderpool being at the level we all know he can be at, but yeah, great win from Jasper Phillips a lot of other sprinters dropped on the hills, including Fabio Jacobson, uh, who's obviously here instead of Mark Cavendish and, uh, yeah, I believe Phillipson said after the race that, uh, he was beaten here by Cav last year. He, Cav won and Phillipson was second. And uh, I believe after the stage, Phillipson said um, Cav not being here was a big factor in winning today. So, a bit of spice from old Jasper there. But yeah, an impressive stage win from him
0: nonetheless. Absolutely. And um, we've not had another win for uh, the quick step fella. So, uh, you could argue. Lefebvre is not um has not chosen the right person, but uh that's put to bed now. We can't we can't keep uh, harping I, on you
1: I, I'll actually throw another opinion out. My opinion is that given all the um challenging sprint stages we have with a lot of sprinters getting dropped halfway through the stage, to bring two sprinters, in my opinion, is the optimal solution, and you can have a, your guy. Fabio Jakobsen, who I think is a better sprinter on your very flat stages, and then Cav, who's your sprinter on the lumpier stages, given we know Cav climbs better than Jakobsen this season. But that's my opinion. That's how I'd have played it. But Jakobsen looks like his climbing legs in the heat aren't all there. And um, yeah, sadly, he's missed out on a few opportunities to sprint this tour because of that. And uh, yeah. Looking like it'll only be one stage win for him uh, at this tour, but maybe maybe you'll prove me wrong. Maybe he's got another one or two in him, but I doubt it. To be honest,
0: again mentioning Vanart coming in second and cementing his yeah uh, green jersey win. Um, I don't I don't think anyone's going to take it off him, do you?
1: I don't. I think it's mathematically impossible now. I'm not sure on that, but yeah, he basically won it on stage three, pretty much. Well, even before the tour started, he'd won it. He's just the perfect rider for the for the green jersey, and yeah, I think as long as he um, finishes this tour, that's green, green wrapped up. But yeah, um, that was always going to be the case. I feel.
0: So today's a rest day. Um, what a rider's doing during a rest day, Rob.
1: Um, Well, so I actually in Copenhagen got to speak to one of the world's all coaches and he said what he sets his riders to do would be an hour and a half um, spin and then they do one five-minute effort quite hard just to see where their legs are at. Um, For the riders who are wanting to win the time trial or do well in GC, they'll probably be on their time trial bikes, getting used to being back in that position. And other than that, I assume a nice massage and uh, some nice rest and recovery for the guys.
0: Uh, it's, it's quite funny. I often see riders out on, uh, or there's always snaps of riders out on uh, e-bikes, um, just so they're still spinning the legs. But <laughs> Are they? Yeah, yeah. Thinking, there's, yeah. Uh, I think it was last year when uh, Specialized released like one of their top-of-the-range e-bikes, and they got uh, part of the marketing, really. They got all their riders um, on the rest day riding them. And... Uh, just to show it's probably more of a PR stunt than anything. I think that
1: was more a PR stunt, yeah. But
0: they're still out there riding, effectively still spinning their legs and uh, getting the the desired outcomes of the ride, I guess. Um, Just going a bit further and faster.
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah. Something different for the riders, for sure. And some nice marketing to specialise to get their money. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, so we're heading into stage 16. We're starting to head into Pyrenees. Uh, some of the lumpier or rather steeper stages. We've got three of those before flat stage, uh, before the time trial, and then obviously back in Paris. So uh, what's tomorrow looking like?
1: Yeah, tomorrow, very hard stage, potentially a breakaway stage, two big climbs, and then a long descent into the finish Expect. Big attacks from Pogacar tomorrow. Um, yeah. And I expect a lot more from him. And especially on those final two climbs, I really expect it to kick off there.
0: Yeah. And stage 17 is a bit of the same. Um few more climbs, but not as lumpy. Um, we expect Pogacar to go again. He's two minutes 30 down. Uh, he's effectively running out of time or running out of stages to to close that gap as you mentioned he might he might he may not even but he, he might take back a minute uh on stage 20 on the time trial but that, that's not guaranteed so he needs to do something now um yeah if he keeps knocking on the door he might burn himself as well so
1: he definitely won't be scared of burning himself and yeah stage 16 17 18 all very very tough stages and yeah climbs from a long way out a lot of climbing a lot of descent and not a lot of flat in between these climbs so he'll be going all out he knows he's got a lot of time to make up over on stage 16 to 18 he's got to make up at least a minute and a half to have a realistic chance in that time trial in my opinion so big fireworks and I'll predict big time gaps on the GC in these uh in this final week
0: uh, Rob if you're uh, you're the ds of the UAE team uh, you've got pogecha perhaps the strongest or we, we don't know if he's the strongest anymore but you certainly do not have the strongest domestics in fact two of them or if not three have uh, gone home due to coronavirus what are you telling your team what are you telling Pagata? Uh
1: I'd argue now that UAE are potentially as stronger domestics as um, Jumbo Visma with both Steven Kreisfike and Primos Roglic uh, leaving the race yesterday.
0: Uh, phew, uh, no one comes close to, to, to Sepp Kuss, no? Uh,
1: oh, I'd argue, I'd argue Mark Soler is riding himself into pretty good form. Kuss has looked all right. He's not looked that good. I think Soler can ride hard enough to make okay. it hard. Hard enough for Pagatch to attack off a real pace. Um, I believe Mike is still in the race, and Mike is arguably one of the best climbers left in the race, even though he's got COVID. Um, I, no, I think I think UAE have got enough firepower to make it hard enough on the climbs um, for Pagatch to launch, but obviously not hard enough. They they those two can't drop Vingegaard on their own. They need to set a hard pace for Pogaccia to then attack off. Um, but yeah, like you say, Sepp Kuss will help bring Vingegaard back, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, the teams are quite even now. The teams are quite even with all the uh, injuries Yumbo um,
0: Bisma have recently faced. So what are you telling Pogaccia then? And the team? Go right? for
1: it. Long way out. Every All these remaining climbing stages, long way out. Make it as hard as you can. Wait for the day where it's not hot. And then really hit him because when it's not hot, when it's cooler, Pagatcha goes a lot better and just put it on him every day until he cracks or you crack. If Pagatcha cracks, <laughs> it doesn't matter. They've yeah, won the score yeah, the last yeah, yeah. two years. Like, yeah, they. I don't think they really care about a podium. They just want to win. So, so I just throw, throw the kitchen sink at it. I tell the domestiques to throw the kitchen
0: sink at it as well and
1: yeah hopefully they just crack him and make it an exciting tour for
0: us so who's your money on to win then if you were a betting man
1: if I was a betting man Janaid, I would go for Vingegaard yeah Uh, although I am aware uh, Vingegaard is the strong favorite and expected to win um so yeah yeah I think Vingegaard is expected to win, and I think he will win. is my opinion, but Pagacchione won't go down without a big fight. That's for sure.
0: They both have never been in this position, so I wouldn't be able to predict. You know what I mean? Um, you know, if Roglic was in Vingegaard's position, I would say actually Pagacchione probably has the upper hand, knowing that Roglic starts to fade during the latter stages. But Vingegaard, uh, it's hard to say. You know, um, and obviously Pagacchione has never been chasing not like this anyway he was obviously the underdog back in 2020 uh, but <sighs> hard to say hard to say uh,
1: well I don't think he was really bored in 2000 really, but...
0: <laughs> 2020 yeah yeah,
1: yeah no yeah. I am joking, I joking yeah. yeah um yeah no for sure yeah difficult position for both of them but i not giving up that's for sure and uh Vingegaard's will just have to try his best to hang on I think and I think he will. I think Vingegaard's very strong on these climbs. So yeah, a cracking last week coming up that's for sure and uh potentially heartbreak in the final time trial I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that either.
0: Mm. And uh so the win in Paris then. Uh who do you think is going to grab that one? The prestigious Champs-Élysées stage?
1: I think Fabio Jakobsen and Caleb Ewan have lost too much of their sprint getting over all these climbs and they might get time cut. I think um Groenewegen will struggle on the climbs as well. I'd imagine it will come down to Van Aert versus Philipson, and I think Philipsen will most likely win it after Van Aert will have gone max trying to win the time trial on stage 20. That yes. would be yeah, my yeah. prediction. So,
0: yeah. I would have said Van Aert, but I'm really hoping for Sagan to win it, so...
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I think if, you, if you're if you a betting man on that, Junaid, you get quite good odds if that comes through for you. But yeah, yeah.
0: He's, def- he's in my fantasy team. That's, that's good.
1: <laughs> well, fingers crossed for your fantasy team. I, I forgot to submit mine on time. so I got one, but, but yeah, yeah, no. Hopefully, Sagan rings you in some points. But I sadly don't see it, to be honest. Although I said Jar Hainley wouldn't win the Giro either. So, uh, so you never know. I don't know it all, but yeah.
0: True, true. And uh, so uh, Rob, will be back on just to wrap up the Tour de France next week. Uh, and thanks for coming on.
1: No worries. Thanks a lot for having me.